And now if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. And it's Matthew chapter 4. We'll be studying verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the living God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days of fasting and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands he will, they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall, lo- you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Again, Father, we ask for your help this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word that it has spoken to us and that through it, Holy Spirit, you will work in our hearts. We ask that you would soften us towards your word, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds to your truth, and that you would work through us. We would hear the voice of our good shepherd, and we would offer ourselves to him. We ask that you would work through us or work in us, and that we would hear a word of God and not a word from man. And we, hear these things, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever gotten yourself into a situation and you ended up saying or, or, or asking yourself, how did I end up here? How did I get here? Maybe you were a kid, a teenager, a child, and you followed your friends somewhere only to realize that was the one place you shouldn't be. Maybe you didn't finish all of your work or your homework. The time came to face your boss or turn in your assignment to your teacher. Or maybe everything in your life was going great. It was going wonderful. And then, in what seemed like an instant, everything came crashing down around your ears. And, you, and in those moments, we look around and we say, How did I end up here? How did this happen? Jesus is in a moment that might cause us to ask, how did he end up there? Jesus is in the wilderness. He's hungry and he is face to face with the devil himself. That's a place that none of us would enjoy being. None of us would like to be there. But unlike us, Jesus is there on purpose. He's there for a reason, to overcome temptation on our behalf. And since Jesus has overcome temptation for us, we will see three things. That we will see the nature of temptation, how we battle temptation, and lastly, Christ's victory over temptation. First, in this passage, we see the nature of temptation. Look back in chapter 3, verse 16, 
Uh, here we see the context of Jesus' temptation. In chapter 3, verse 16, John has just baptized Jesus, and Jesus is coming out of the water. The Holy Spirit has come down upon Jesus to empower his ministry. And the Father speaks from heaven, and he says in verse 17, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now this statement from the Father is extremely important for what is going on in the temptation of Jesus. So we're going to keep that statement in the back of our minds as Jesus is tempted. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The express purpose, the reason for Jesus going into the wilderness is to be tempted by the devil, to endure that temptation. Jesus doesn't accidentally bump into Satan on the road. He walks into the wilderness on purpose to meet him face to face for the battle. Jesus is going there on our behalf. This is a part of the divine sovereign plan to save our souls, to save the souls of God's people. You see, Jesus is going into the wilderness the same way that the Hebrews went into the wilderness during the Exodus. Right after they go through the Red Sea, they go into the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days after being baptized. The Old Testament wilderness wanderings point to this moment in history. Jesus' temptation. See, Matthew has already called Jesus the true Israel. The true Son of God in Matthew 2.15. And now he's making the point even clearer. That Jesus is the greater Son that will endure and obey in wilderness temptation. Unlike Israel of old. You remember the stories of the Exodus. How hungry the people got in the wilderness. They got so hungry after the Exodus, after um, the Red Sea crossing, that in two chapters after it, they complain to God about how hungry they are. And then, what does God do? He provides bread from from heaven, manna. So here in verse 2, we see that Jesus has fasted for 40 days, a whole month and more. And he is hungry. That's like the understatement of the year from Matthew. He says that Jesus is hungry after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He is most likely famished. He has had food, or he's had water, but not food. Imagine how hungry you would be. We often get uh, what we call hangry if we miss lunch or if we miss one meal. Jesus has fasted for 40 days. But he is not just hungry, he's in the wilderness. The Judean wilderness is hot, very hot, and it is rocky, it's desolate, and there's kind of nothing out there. Mark chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that Jesus was with the wild animals. Jesus is not out for a pleasant stroll in the woods. He is enduring severe temptation in severe conditions. He's dealing with a month's worth of hunger in a hot place where there's nothing but wild animals that probably want to kill him. And then, to top it all off, Satan is there. And he has to deal with him. Satan's attack is the same attack that it was in the first temptation so long ago to our first parents. It is an attack on the integrity and on the meaning of the Word of God. Here... It's the word of affirmation. That's what we just read. 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what Satan attacks all three times. He tells Jesus in verse 3 that if you are the son of God, if God's word is true, then make these stones bread. Satan demands a miracle to prove Christ is the son of God. But Jesus trusts in the Father, and he doesn't think of his own wants. He doesn't think even of his own needs in this moment. He thinks of us. He thinks of pleasing his Father. With all of this, you might think that Christ's temptation is different from yours. And in some ways, it, it, it is. It is different from ours. See, Jesus, like we said with the children, he doesn't have a sinful nature like us. Jesus isn't tempted from within himself. He never has been. But his temptation was greater than the temptation that we face. He never gave in to temptation. He was constantly tempted throughout his life without relief. He saw the devil physically in front of him when he was tempted. Jesus didn't have the church around him to help him with temptation. He was all by himself. But it's also similar to our temptation. Often in our lives, we will find that it's after a time of success, after a spiritual high moment, that we find ourselves in the greatest temptations. The, uh, the, the youth that go up to Bon Clarkin, they will tell you that up there it is easy to be a Christian. But when they come home, it instantly gets hard. And temptation comes back and rears its ugly head. See, it's usually when we are tired or all by ourselves or all three and hungry that life gets hard and the promises of God don't seem like they're going to come to pass. See, we, like Christ, are tempted by real spiritual forces. The devil's a real person. He's a real fallen angel. He's not a myth. He's not some wind that blows wrongly. He is real. And he, uh, and he does indeed tempt us. And he sends his demons to tempt us, to entice our sinful natures to sin. But like Christ's temptations, ours are for a purpose. To move us to trust in God, to run to him with our temptations, to ask the Spirit to take them from us because as Hebrews 4.15 tells us, we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and we may find grace and mercy to help in time of need. If you've ever been kayaking or like canoeing or tubing or on a river or whatever, uh, you kind of have some idea of what temptation is. We all know what temptation is anyway, but we have an illustration for temptation. When you're doing those activities on the water, most of the time you're going with the current, if you're trying to enjoy them at least. We flow along the current and it's easy. We go where the river wants us to go and it's only until we have to kind of resist it to kind of, if we want to move to the side or if we want to go in the opposite direction of the current, that's when we understand the true power of the river because we don't feel it whenever we're just going with the current. In the same way, it's only when we resist temptation that we actually understand how strong it truly is. It's only when we, uh, that's only then that we understand the true nature of temptation. So often we're, when we're faced with the current 
of temptation, we just give in. We float down the river of sin. But our Lord Jesus never gave in, daily resisting the deadly current throughout his life for you and for me. Do you feel that pull this morning? There are so many things that would tempt you and me to go away from Christ, to cause us to move further down the river. Are you tired? Are you worn down? Do you find your life boring? The desire for rest, for purpose, for excitement, all these things, those are good desires. But they are so often twisted to serve our sinful flesh. And we can find these good things in sin and not in the Lord of glory as we are supposed to. Perhaps you think that it is better to find those things in anything but God or being with his people. That if, uh, we, if your business succeeds, if your children or you are successful in sports or school or extracurriculars or whatever it is, that it will scratch that itch that temptation brings. Remember that if we do not recognize the nature of our temptation that we will never be able to resist it and we will be washed down the current of sin until we splash into the pit of hell itself. Remember, you're not alone. Your Lord, your Lord Jesus Christ faced temptation and he did it for you. He knows what it is like to be tempted. He stands ready to pull us out of the current of sin and to help us to stand on solid ground. If you do not know him, repent and believe in him, and you shall be saved. And he will pull you. Yes, you will face temptation, but you will have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you do know him, then run to him. He knows your struggle. He knows what it is like to be tempted. And he knows how to deliver you from it. So we see the nature of temptation. And secondly, we see how to battle temptation. Look at verses 3 through 10. Like we said, Jesus is hungry. He's most likely tired. He's alone with the wild beasts. Matthew tells us that the tempter, a title for the devil, came to Jesus. We noted before that Satan uses the same old tactics from Genesis. He doesn't really change what he does. He seeks to make Jesus doubt what his father said in chapter 3, that he is the beloved son in whom the father is well pleased. And in chapter 4, verse 3, Satan, again, he says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. He's tempting Jesus the only way you can tempt a perfect person, to avoid suffering. It's not wrong to avoid suffering. It's not wrong to want to avoid suffering. Suffering is not what God made us for. But it is wrong to avoid suffering through sin. And that is what he is tempting Jesus with. Jesus is suffering from hunger, so he says, make some bread. He shrewdly says, make bread, not a lavish feast. Make some common food, stuff that will just fill your belly. But uh, Jesus refrains. And instead, he does as his father has led him. And he focuses on his father. And he uses the greatest defense that we have. Look at uh, the the verse again in verse 4. He answers, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus uses the same defense three times. He uses the word of God. Instead of following his own interests, he clings to God's word. 
And that teaches us that the will of God is our food and our drink. And that it is the greatest method of overcoming temptation. Satan then, he moves on to a different method, but still the same underlying temptation. To get a crown without a cross. To not suffer. Satan tells Jesus to throw himself off the temple. Because if he does, God will fulfill Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And he'll send the angels to pick you up and you won't hit your foot against a stone. Then everyone will know that you're the son of God and you won't even have to suffer. Because all those people there to worship God will see Jesus borne up by the angels. Instead, Jesus does not. Jesus does not listen to Satan. See, Satan is twisting the word of God. See, Satan hates God. He despises God's word and his people. But Satan knows God's word, and he is able to twist it. He did it at the beginning, and he is able to do it now. We do this too, though. How many times have we misinterpreted God's word to keep us from obeying? How many times have we convinced ourselves we were honoring God's word by obeying some parts of it and then keeping out the parts that we didn't necessarily want to obey. Christ shows us the proper response to the twist of God's word. You use God's word to refute it. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 16. He reminds the devil that we are not to put God to the test. And instead of demanding a sign or a miracle to show that Jesus is God's son, Jesus chooses to trust in faith in the word of God that was spoken from heaven. Then we see the third temptation. Satan comes to Jesus again, and he promises, he says, Here, Jesus, you can get everything God promised you, all the glory and all the nations. All you have to do is worship me. Again, skip the cross. Just get the glory. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, God promises Jesus the nations. And here, Satan, as he always does, takes something that God has already promised to give us in his word, and he offers it through sin. He can't actually give it to us. He couldn't actually give Jesus the glory in the nations. But he tries to convince him that if you just sin, you'll get it. If you just sin, I can give you what God will give you through obedience. And you won't even have to suffer. But Jesus' reaction, again, is scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, that we are to worship God, and him only are we to serve. The point of all of this is to show us two things. One, Satan's tactics haven't changed since Genesis. If one person said, if the song is a hit, you don't really have to change it. You can just keep playing it over and over again, and someone will like it. So, uh, he does the same thing he did to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had God's word. They knew what right from wrong was because they had the commands of God. But Satan says, you can know more if all you have to do is sin. And they were banished, and we have all fallen into sin because of it. The second thing that we see is that when temptation comes, what is the surest defense? The word of God. Not our own strength, not our accomplishments, but the word of God fulfilled in Christ. It is called the sword of the Spirit for a reason. When we we fight temptation with God's word, rightly understood, rightly taught through the power of the Spirit. Have you ever been in a fight that you knew was coming? 
Maybe it was you were a kid and, and you knew the bully was going to pick on you that day. Uh, maybe you knew that your spouse was angry with you and that you might have said something, bought something, done something, and you knew that there was going to be a fight when you got home. Or maybe you knew that your parents were going to be mad at you for being late for the third time. And you knew it was going to be a fight when you got home. What did you do? You prepared for it. You got all your arguments ready, all your counter-arguments, and you were ready for the fight. Like a boxer that knows that a match is coming up, you were ready uh, to go in uh, swinging, ready to win. In the same way, we are to prepare for temptation. Temptation is a sure thing in our lives. J.C. Ryle said it this way, We must not count temptation a strange thing. If Satan came to Christ, he will come to the Christian. We have to prepare for the fight. So how do we do that? We make ourselves diligent students of the word of God. We study God's word, seeking to understand it daily, to know what he says about himself, about us, and about the world around us. Parents, it's our responsibility to prepare our children for the fight against sin and against temptation. We are to read the Bible with our families, to have them in church hearing God's word, seeing and participating in the sacraments whenever it is appropriate. There's no better way to prepare our families or ourselves for a life of temptation that faces a Christian than to study God's word, to teach them God's word and be in God's house with his people and have these things as the utmost priority in our lives. It's our responsibility to raise up men and women ready to fight and to teach them that it is not in our strength that we resist temptation, but it is in the strength of the Lord. As Paul says, that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So it might be time for us to cut out some things. It might be time for us to cut out things that are keeping us from God's house, keeping us from studying God's word. We have an old, familiar excuse that we use often. I'm too busy. That's a poor excuse for us. I know I'm the preacher. I'm busy too. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not. I don't study God's word as much as I should. We all say we are too busy. We are not too busy. The problem is we're too stuffed. We need to declutter. Teenagers, take your faith seriously. Shortly, you will be on your own in the ugly world. If you don't make a habit now of taking your relationship with God seriously, you will harden in a cycle of sin. And you will stay that way. I have seen it too many times. Beloved, run to God's word. We must run to God's word for our defense and his Holy Spirit for our help. And we should lift each other up as the church. So we see the nature of temptation, how to battle temptation, and lastly, we see Christ's victory over temptation. We see our last point in verses 8 through 11. Again, Satan comes, he tempts Jesus the last time. Jesus refutes Satan and rebukes him and tells him to leave. In Luke chapter 4, we learn that Satan didn't leave Christ forever, but until the opportune time. That throughout Jesus' life, he was tempted. Jesus is not just the greater Israel, he's the greater Adam. He is our covenant representative. Where Adam failed in a perfect garden in the coolness of day with a wife to help him, Jesus obeys in the hot, barren, Judean wilderness with no one around but the wild animals. 
Jesus saves us through his obedience. This is what's called his active obedience. He saves us. This obedience counts for us when we fail. He is going through temptations and overcoming them so that his righteousness would count for us when we put our faith in him, so that his righteousness would cover our failures. But not only do we see Jesus' victory, but we also see God's word fulfilled. Look at verse 6. Satan quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, but he leaves off part of it. In Psalm 91, it says that the angels have command concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. The point of the psalm, very quickly, is this. God sends his angels to protect his people as they obey his word, as they follow him. Jesus, as our covenant head, follows God's word. And what happens in verse 11? Angels show up. Angels show up to minister to Jesus because God fulfills his word. Christ won the victory for us so that we would be able to have a righteousness that counts for us and to show the faithfulness of his word. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, the author of Hebrews tells us this. Christ suffered temptation, and he is able to help those that are tempted. Understand what the word is telling us this morning. That though we have failed, though we have given into temptation and sinned more than we even know, the obedience of Christ counts for us. That it covers that. We are able to rest in the fact that when we fail, when we are faithless, He remains faithful. And through faith in Christ, his obedience counts for us. And our failures are wiped away. In 2021, something truly amazing happened. Um, Something that had not happened, that hadn't been seen for 26 years. I'm 30, I'm not that old, so that's most of my life. But uh, after all those long years of waiting and hoping, on November 2nd, 2021, the Braves beat the Astros in game six of the World Series, seven to nothing, and they won. And after that, myself, millions of people, probably some of you said, we won the World Series. I have never played a game of professional baseball. I have lost a lot of baseball games as a child. The closest I came to helping the Braves was I gave them some money and attended a game. But I didn't play. I still said, we won the World Series. Because the Braves' victory counted for me as a fan. On a much grander scale, a far better scale, Jesus' victory counts for you. As we come to the table today, you face temptation. You and I face temptation. You have failed, and so have I. But thanks be to God. That Jesus did not. That he gave his body. That he gave his blood. And gave perfect obedience. So that when you and I fail. We are covered by his obedience and his sacrifice. Let us prepare for the Lord's table today. And let us do so by going to him in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray.